Ladies and gentlemen. Ali, a sneaky right hand. Another sneaky right hand. This time he works over the shoulder for him. Friday home. Today is our Thursday home inside the world-famous Superbook at the Westgate Las Vegas. No better sports book in the world than the Westgate Las Vegas. Hour number two, we're going to talk some college football and NFL week number five. Tomorrow will be in Dallas. We'll be broadcasting the show live from Dallas. Myself, Houston Nutt, the coach, will be with me in Dallas as we get ready for the Aces and the Wings game number three. Closeout situation for the Aces tomorrow, but tonight we are here on a Thursday inside the Westgate. We get ready for Packers and Lions. That is coming your way tonight. And uh, we got a lot of football. Scott Spritzer, Marco D'Angelo will join us here at the bottom of the hour. But right now, we talk a little squared circle. We talk a little jab, jab, stick to the body time. My man, Jolton Joe Cortez, the legendary referee, my longtime friend, one of the best the International Boxing Hall of Fame referee, Joe Cortez in the house at a place that he is very familiar with, the Westgate Las Vegas, the Hilton before that, where I saw you referee so many fights, you in the light blue shirt and the bow tie back in the day, brother. Well, you know I'm fair, but I'm firm. You Touch him up. <laughs> Touch him up, baby. <laughs> All right. How you doing, brother? Like everything good. Everything good here. Having a good time. Uh, getting ready for a great weekend. Uh, a great fight. Canelo Alvarez and Jamel Charles. going to be a great fight. Hey, speaking of this property here, yeah. I know it brings back a lot of memories for you, uh, right? Uh, this is Elvis Presley property here back in the days. That's true. He performed here for eight years and, yeah. and entertained over, over two million uh, fans while he was performing here. So speaking of which, the breaking news, I don't know if you know this, Joe, but g- good segue here is that Barry Manilow is doing a residence here. Barry Manilow is about ready to break Elvis's record really? for a number of shows. Wow. How about that? That's amazing. That's going to be a... A battle of the best. Right? Exactly, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're a Barry Manilow guy back in the day. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You used to cut it up to Barry songs, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Barry Manilow was a great guy. Elvis Presley. I'm Elvis oh. Presley. He performed a lot in, in, in Hawaii. Yeah. It's a place called the uh, Honolulu International Center, which is now called the Blazeville Arena. Right. And um, I went there to referee a world title fight, and I fought there myself three times as a professional. I had three fights, I had three wins. <laughs> so back... 
in the day, what was maybe your most memorable fight on this property? On this property here? Well, I know that Leon's pink beat Muhammad Ali. <laughs> Don't you back forget in it. 1976, yeah. June to be exact. Yeah. And that was a great fight for my, you know, for Leon Springs. Yeah. Unfortunately, six months later, Ali took the title back. Right. But it took place here at the, at the Hilton. Right. Back yeah. in the days when it was the Hilton House of Westgate. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right, my friend. Canelo Alvarez and Jermel Charlo for the undisputed super middleweight title. This is will be contested at 168 pounds. Um, Canelo, fantastic, as we know. I mean, one, one of the greats of all time. And I mentioned the last hour that your last fight that you refereed was Canelo Alvarez. Canelo Alvarez with the Josecito Lopez. Yep. I think it was the fifth-round stoppage. He put him down, then he finished him up with a body shot. Josecito went down. I, I gave him the full count. That was it. <laughs> yeah, but Canelo Alvarez come a long way since then. It's been a good 11 years. And uh, here he is, still heavy. Uh, now he's a super middleweight champion. Yeah. And um, making a lot of money. One of the highest paid uh, fighters in boxing. He's the face of boxing right now. No question. Yeah. So when you saw Alvarez in that fight during that during that time, what were your thoughts as far as like uh, what you were witnessing? I mean, you've been with some of the greatest of all time. Yeah, well, I tell you, I was watching him. I said to myself, this young man has a lot of talent. You know, he's uh, he's a puncher. He can box. He had it all, a good body, body puncher. Then you just say you kill the body, the head dies, and that was his call. That was, he copied that from Ulises Chavez, mm-hmm. who my referee like six times. Right. Chavez was a good body puncher. Canelo learned a lot from Chavez watching him. And you know, the body shots take a lot out of you. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't, you, you, some guy could take good punches, but you hit him with a good body shot. That's like when uh, uh, Bernard Hopkins fought uh, Oscar De La Hoya, he stopped it with that left hook to the body. Right. People didn't even see the punch, it was short body shot. Yeah. Knocked the wind out of you, and that was it. It's, you, you feel like you're dying. I got hit one time like that with my brother Mike doing training. Right. I, I, I thought I was going to die. Those body shots make you feel like it's the end of the world. Yeah. You can't breathe. You can't. You're like you're like paralyzed on the yeah. canvas, and that's the way. Uh, uh, you know those body shots, Canelo. Give, delivers they're very good punches no one of the best now this fight like we mentioned canelo 168 and jermel charlo super welterweight champ there's a two weight class difference here now do you think that that is going to come into play here because again charlo basically most of his fights 154 back in the day and when you referee canelo that was canelo's weight it was like 154 now obviously he's gotten older he, he's he's gone up in weight heck we even seen him compete at 175 where he, where he beat Sergey Kovalev very handily, and now he's kind of settling back into you know a, a 168 here. But what do you think of the matchup, and is weight going to be an issue here? Well, it's going to be uh, an issue for for Charlo for the simple reason. I mean, he's Charlo's the hungriest of, of both. You know, mm-hmm. Charlo has a lot to gain by winning this fight. I mean, I mean, Canelo has only lost one fight that was against Floyd Mayweather, and Canelo learned so much from that fight. You know, sometimes you got to take a defeat. Sometimes a blessing in disguise. Because that happened with when he fought with Mayweather. But now Charlo's fighting a fighter who can punch. He's a good body puncher, a good boxer. He's a hard puncher. Canelo is no fluke out there. He can really, he really has all the tools. But Charlo is the hungrier of the two. So it's going to be a good battle. I predict it's going to go into the late rounds. Probably be a KO in the late rounds. I think uh, Charlo's going to say, you know, I gave it a shot. You know, he has nothing to be ashamed of if he loses. Right, right. You know, and Charlo is a guy that uh, has... Given some very very good fights, he had that loss to Tony Harrison, and I think you know that in a lot of people's minds going. Hmm. And Tony Harrison is a good fighter. He was a very good fighter, uh, still is a very good fighter. But I think you know that was considered an upset. And um, 
you know, now he's really stepping up in class because he's never fought a guy like Canelo Alvarez. I mean, not only is Canelo a legend, he's 33 years old. But, Joe, don't you think of Canelo as being an older fighter? But, you know, because he had so many amateur fights and he had so many pro fights when he was young, uh, but still he's only 33. But how much mileage do you think he has on him? Well, what happens with fighters sometimes, they're there too long. It depends how, how kind of, of pounding they've taken to their body, you know? Has he really gotten beat up real bad? I mean, he got—he never really gotten beat up really bad. He's taking some punches throughout his career. He's 33. You know, don't, don't forget, I refereed George Foreman. He became heavyweight champion at the age of 45. So 33 is still young, but uh, is uh, you look at a fighter 33, you say, okay, this way you start really, you already reach your peak, and now you start going down. We'll see Saturday night if he's going to go down or you're going to keep on climbing. But he, where do you think Canelo is in his career right now? How much do you think he still has left in the tank? And how, and how long will he continue to fight? I'd say two more years tops. Okay. And he wants to go out on top. I think he'll go out on top. He's not going to stay longer than that. I mean, he got all the money in the world. He's one of the better paid fighters in, in boxing today. Uh, he's got it all. He makes so much money for endorsements. He's doing great for himself. I think two more years, he'll pack it in. And he does have two fights left on this uh PBC contract that he has well, right well, now. So. Well, that's it right there. Yeah. 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 Um, two losses. He, the one to Mayweather, and then he lost to Dimitri Bivol. Right. I think a lot of people thought that that uh, was an upset. Uh, Canelo said, hey, maybe maybe he didn't take him seriously. Maybe he didn't train hard enough. He And Canelo has said over his last few fights that he has been injured, had a hand injury, some other, other injuries. He says he's completely healthy right now, but... What is the key to beating Canelo Alvarez? Because only two people have done it. Well, I think speed and good defense. You know, you got to have good speed to get, get off on him first. You know, good combination. A fighter just throws a, a punch here and a punch there. You got to throw combinations to get you keep your man. But you got to keep throwing those punches and just keep going, going, going. But if you're going to slack off, I remember watching Joe, Joe Kazagi. He was beating all these guys out there. He was beating them more because of the speed that he had. But he, uh, most of his fight was by knockout, Joe Kazaki. I don't think he was the greatest punch in the world, but he has so much speed with good combinations, and that, that would take, uh, take you a long way in the fight. And I think Canelo, uh, got to be careful that, uh, that Charlo probably come out with a lot of speed. If he comes out with a lot of speed, he could try to be defending himself a lot. But um, I, I, I can't see that happening. I think Canelo going to have a, a, a tough fight, but I think at the end he's going to be walking out again victorious. Canelo Alvarez, a minus $4.25 favorite, so pretty substantial favorite. And I think a lot of people thought that maybe the odds would not be that high for Canelo, especially considering you know, Charlo's younger and he's had a lot, of, a lot of success. And again, maybe that loss to Tony Harrison maybe brought it down. But I think the sportsbooks knows too, as you know, uh, as well as anybody, uh, when those Mexican fans come in, man, they're going to come in, and Canelo's going to be the crowd favorite. I mean, they had no problem selling out T-Mobile Arena just like that. But those Mexican fans like to come, they like to party, they like to drink, and they like to bet. Yeah, well, like that. you know, they're going to like to bet. You know, they got to keep their fingers crossed because it's not going to be an easy one for Canelo yeah. because he's not fighting a, a palooka. This guy, yeah. this guy comes to fight as well. Oh, Joe Cortez uh, joins us. All right, man. How do you see, this, uh, see the fight folding, unfolding, man? Break it down for me. I think uh, at the beginning going to be a feel out for Canelo at the first two rounds. And after that, he's going to figure his man out. Then Canelo going to start putting the pressure on him. He's going to see what well, I can walk through this guy. Then it's going to be more defensive for Canelo the first two rounds. After that, 
he got to put the pressure on, on Charlo. And then Charlo got to be allowed to defense. And hopefully he don't get hit by, by Canelo's punches. But Canelo, if he's smart, he'll be using the body first, going to the body, try to wear him down a little bit. he cut his, uh, his ring mechanics. The guy will be moving the ring, and he, he cut him down by hitting the body shots. Going to get him up against the ropes. Throws a good combination. Canelo going to be holding a lot. The referee, uh, whoever's going to be, I don't know the referee, but the, who's ever going to be the referee for the fight, we'll know tomorrow. Uh, or maybe today. They'll make a decision today. Yeah. And uh, I haven't heard yet about the referee for that fight. Right. But the referee got to be on his toes again, making sure it's a clean fight, make sure there's no low blows committed, and uh, it should be a good fight. Looking forward to it. Give me your prediction. I think Canelo wins by TKO in the late rounds. Okay. That, that sounds like a pretty pretty wise bet, you know, yeah. right there. Uh, love Canelo Alvarez, and uh, hopefully he continues uh, boxing and we get to see more of Canelo here. He was like a staple usually with, uh, you know, the Mexican Independence Day uh, in September, and then, of course, Cinco de Mayo. We've seen so many great fights, so it's, yeah. it's good to see Canelo back here because he does a lot for the community here as well, too. I mean, driving fans here, but again, just still uh, at the top of his game, He's not on the pound-for-pound pound list right now in the top three or four. Basically, Terrence Crawford has kind of taken that over a little bit. Give me your, your best pound-for-pounds right now. Well, uh, Terrence Crawford is definitely, to me, probably the best out there right now. Mm-hmm. And then you got uh, you got uh, Tank Davis, yeah. Yeah, number two, and I think uh, Canelo, number three. Yeah. Yeah. I could go with that. I could go with that. Yeah. Maybe maybe I put uh, Canelo ahead of Tank. Okay. But, yeah. Yeah, well, you know, but but Crawford and Canelo, no question. Yeah, you know, I mean, uh, Tank is uh, coming up, he's getting there, but he hasn't gotten to the level that Canelo's been up here yet. But it's going to be a good one. Anyway, anyway, you pick it, I think everybody's a winner, no matter what, in what category, in what order you put him in. They're all the three of the best. You didn't mention Tyson Fury. What do you think of him? Tyson Fury? He's okay. You know why? Mike Tyson would have been around these days. They, they wouldn't be talking too much about Tyson Fury. You got that right, right? They'd be talking about Tyson, I referee the Tyson, last name Tyson, I, I not the first name. I refereed Tyson eight times. I can tell you, he's one of the hardest punches I've ever been in the ring with. I mean, the man, the man can punch. Not only that, he had good speed, you know? And I got to referee his fights when he was coming up as a, as a youngster, including his last fight against yeah. Kevin McBride. Joe, did you ever fear for the opponent? When Mike Tyson was in that ring, I would, you know, when I when I, I referee uh, Marvin Fraser, Joe Fraser's son, when he fought um, uh, Mike Tyson up in New Paltz, New York, and uh, Mike Tyson was staring. I give the instructions to them in the middle of the ring, and I was and I was looking at Mike Tyson. He was staring down Marvin Fraser, and I saw Fraser. I could see the fear in his face. I said, "Oh, wait a minute, this guy like this guy like already pissing in his pants." You know? <laughs> I mean, my instruction was longer to fight. The fight was over 30 seconds right. in the first round. That was it. My instructions were longer, right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. But Tyson had, yeah. Tyson had a lot of speed, good combination. He knew how to cut off the ring. Yeah. He had great training. Cut to your model was great. Taught him very good. And uh, Mike Tyson succeeded being the youngest heavyweight in the history of boxing. Yeah, that's true. We've seen a couple fights like that, unfortunately. You know, Michael Spinks. Yeah, yeah. It didn't last long. Bruce Seldon didn't last very long, right? Yeah, right, right. A couple right. short ones, right? Exactly, yeah. 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 Joe Cortez, the legend in the I, house with I, us. I did him against uh, Larry Holmes. That's four right. rounds. That's right. Five rounds. Four rounds. All right. Hey, also with us here today is uh, John Williams from the Nevada Wheelchair uh, Foundation. John, glad to have you well, with us, my friend. You, thanks, you know, thank you so much for having me. It's great to have you here. And I know that Joe has done a lot of work 
with the Wheelchair Foundation as well, too, right? So that's great to have both of you guys yeah, here. Yeah, Joe did our first fundraising event mm-hmm. and, uh, back in 2005. Sold house, sold out at the Imperial Palace. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. you know, we need people like uh, Joe, people like you, let people know that we need recipients mm-hmm. and because we give free wheelchairs. Nevada... Wheelchair Foundation has done such a great job here in this community, supplying wheelchairs to children, adults with disabilities, and uh, it's great. How did you get involved with this endeavor? Well, my brother started this back in 2002, and uh, he said, John, I'm getting about 10,000 wheelchairs. I want you to start the foundation and give out free wheelchairs. We have never charged one penny. We've done 11500 and if people had to pay for their wheelchairs, it would be $3.8 million, which wow. saves the people. And it's just myself, my wife. People like Joe and you, we team up, and we don't charge anybody. We just help everybody, and we don't ask for money. We just we need we need awareness. That's what we right. what we need now. Shout out to uh, my good friend and our, our my, my longtime tag team partner Nick Nice. Oh, he's who, awesome. Who has done uh, a lot of great promotional stuff for you guys as oh, well with his production he skills up, he and videos. He up yeah. so high. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So he's he's my guy. So shout out to, to Nick uh, for you know bringing this to our attention here today to have you on the show. Joe, you've known John for a long time. Like you mentioned, it goes back to 2005. You are very involved with this foundation. Well, you know, John called me one day and he came over to my house and we talked a little bit. We're in my gym and we talked about what he's doing. I was You know, I have a daughter myself is in a wheelchair from an auto accident yeah. 29 years ago. She ended up quadriplegic. And she tells me today she's so happy in a, in a, in a way that she, she drives her own car. She gets around. She said, Daddy, don't worry about me. I'm okay. You're always worrying about me. I may, may be in a wheelchair, but I feel like I'm normal. And, you know, and people that get around with wheelchairs, individuals don't have the, the ability to get or can't afford to get a wheelchair. And this is where the foundation comes in and help people out like that. For anybody out there that, that needs some help with the Wheelchair Association, you know, you get, uh, get a hold of the, uh, the uh, John uh, at WheelchairFoundation.org, and you can... Um, Talk to them, send them an email, but whatever help you need with wheelchair, John Williams would be sure to help you out, get back to you right away on that. There are so many people that are in need of wheelchairs, and like you said, people don't realize it. It's expensive, yeah. you know, to 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 buy a wheelchair, and uh, especially you know, again, if you're coming off an injury or you need it for short term or long term. So I just commend the cause well, that, you. that, that, that you, you do much. because I mean, I think we've all experienced it, whether it's it's individually or family members, yeah. you know, parents of ours. Uh, I've, hey, I've, I've towed around a lot of wheelchairs, uh, in my family, uh, and friends for, for a long time. And, uh, I'm telling you, selecting a wheelchair is also very important as well. You know? Exactly. Yeah. 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 So this is great. So, so, sometimes you need different size wheelchair for for the young for the young, exactly. young youngsters, and they need a, a heavier person, they need a, a wider chair. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember one day a, a friend of mine called me and said, "Joe, there's this lady who's taking care of her son. He got a wheelchair. And he can't get into his bathroom. The doors are not wide enough." Yeah. And I went there with my friend, uh, yes. uh, Mr. 
Andrew Lashua, who's a retired uh, Marine Corps, uh, and he I said, Joe, I said, can you help me out? Because I know he had a lot of tools in his house. Yeah. I want to go to this gentleman's house. I want to wind that door. We went there. We cut the door a little wider, made it put a, like another 10 inches to the door, made it uh, like a 35-inch wide door yeah. to make sure the wheelchair can get through there. And yeah. we did that. And uh, look at that kid's face and our wheelchair. The mom said, I haven't been able to give him a bath. I gave him a bath on the sofa. You know, with a towel to one, now he's able to get into the shower. Yeah. Uh, you know, but I remember that wheelchair thing situation. They have different sizes. And again, like you said, sometimes you gotta, you gotta, you gotta do a, a check on the person. Say, okay, how much you weigh? What is your size? And what's the size of the doors in your bathrooms or your bedroom? Making sure we get the right, right type wheelchair that goes in there. Yeah. And yeah. I think everyone thinks about, uh, you know the elderly needing the wheelchairs, yes. but it's it's children. It's children. And, 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 and and I know you probably feel the same way I do. Of course, that it kind of breaks your heart when you see yeah. these, these children in in wheelchairs, and uh, they need them drastically. And what is the percentage of of wheelchairs that you supply to 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 kids and youth? You know, we're just starting the Children's Wheelchair Foundation from the Ralph Ingolstadt Foundation. Yeah. Um, they gave us a fantastic grant. So I have over 300 specialty wheelchairs coming in. It, there's so many great foundations that help kids. I think the, the biggest demand is seniors. And uh, the kids get a lot of help. But we are going to supply the specialty wheelchairs. But I would say the percent is probably like 20% children and 80% sure. adults. Sure, yeah. The Nevada Wheelchair Foundation, founded in 2002, distributing over, like John said, over 11,000 wheelchairs statewide, and um, it's 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 a great foundation. And again, it's just all about creating awareness about uh, this great charity. And uh, if uh, again, what's what's really great too is you're never like asking for money and everything. We don't. You we just, shake your hand. You, that's it. Yeah, most foundations have open palms, mm -hmm. not us. We need people like you and Joe and Nick to spread the word. You know, talking about spreading the word, we also got to remember that wheelchairs are very helpful, but we also had to get some ramps. Ramps are very important because you can have a wheelchair, but if you have steps going into your house, you know, or when you go visit somebody in a wheelchair, you need a ramp. And they got these portable ramps available out there. We got to get more of those portable ramps to be able to give out along with the wheelchair. Totally agree with that. If you're a Nevada resident, you need a manual wheelchair for permanent use and you cannot afford one, call our good friends over at the Nevada chapter of the Wheelchair Foundation. 702-900-3362. Again, the number, write it down, put it in your phone, lock it in. 702-900-3362. And uh, reach out to John, his wife. They do a great, uh, great job here. And again, just... Uh, uh, they're there to, to help. That's you know, what they're I, here for. You know, I want to say, John Williams, to me, you're the undisputed champion. What you're doing <laughs> is like you're a real champion in life. What you're doing, you, may, you, like, you yeah. may not be a champion in the ring, but you're a champion in life. We need more people like that. Well, Joe I got that picture of you and me in the ring, you know. <laughs> and, and I keep in there, I cherish that. Yeah.
Yeah. But I lost the fight. He beat me. <laughs> John Williams, a man of your undisputed champion. champion. God bless you all. Undisputed. Exactly. That's you right. know, no one's ever going to take that reign from you. That's right. Yeah. And you know what? He's never going to lose it on the scale either. That's right. right? <laughs> I'm the heavyweight. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you know, we are, we, there's not many people out there like you, John. What you're doing is unbelievable. Thank I you. mean, you come up with a foundation. It's something that's unbelievable. It's needed. So many folks out there need it. You never know when you're going to need it. You know, I, I got go, one, Joe. I got one stuck away from my Self, so. You know, you always got to think about individuals go for rehab. You may use a temporary wheelchair for rehab until you get back right. on your feet again. I remember I was in a wheelchair two years ago. You know, then I was at work. After I caught that COVID, I was in the hospital for five months oh, where no. I lost 40 pounds. And I, I was in the wheelchair. When I came out the hospital, they rolled me out in the wheelchair. Everybody out there applauding me coming out of the hospital. But uh, that wheelchair came in handy in my first couple of months until I got back myself back to normal after my rehab. Thank you, Joe, for the yeah, kind well, words. Thank you again for what you're doing, buddy. Thank you're the man. best. Again, if you need a wheelchair and you cannot afford it, it's all right. All you got to pick, pick up the phone and call 702 the Nevada Chapter Wheelchair Foundation. John, I appreciate you being here, my friend. Anytime you you need anything, need need the word out, uh, reach out. We're we're here for you. I will. All right. And my man, Joe Cortez. I'm fair, but I'm firm. Touch him up. Let's go, baby. Saturday night. (laughs) It is Canelo Alvarez and Jamel Charlo. All right, buddy. All right. Good seeing you again. Thank you, buddy. All right. We come back. Marco D'Angelo back with us. Scott Spritzer. We start handicapping week five of the NFL and some college football here inside the Superbook at the Westgate, Las Vegas. I'm fair, but I'm firm. This is boxing referee Joe Cortez. I always listen to the T.C. Martin Show. Back here inside the Westgate Las Vegas at the Superbook. I want to thank my man Jolton Joe Cortez for joining us. Barry Odom a little bit earlier. All kinds of guests here rolling around. All right. Ugly John from Sacktown. Slappy's in the house. Flashing his Benjamins. There it is. That's it. Beverly. Beverly, the cocktail server of the year. 26 years and running. Take care, Slappy. There you go. <laughs> oh, we are back here. Marco D'Angelo in the house with us. Wagertalk.com. Scott Spritzer joined us. DocSports.com. Uh, our handicappers extraordinaires together today as we take a good hard look at uh, NFL Week 5 and some college uh, football as well, too. So let's uh, keep rocking and rolling. Scott, what's going on, my man? Yeah, how you doing, TC? How's it going, man? Good, brother. Good. All right, man. We're ready uh, to go here. Week number five here. Let's uh, let's start with a little handicapping of uh, tonight's game as we talk about the Detroit Lions traveling to Green Bay, making that short trip, going to Lambeau Field, NFC Central slash North battle. And we've got the Lions, a two-and-a-half-point road favorite. Looks like... More and more money keeps coming on the Detroit Lions here, my friend. You got an opinion? Yeah, it's kind of funny. You talk, you know, about Green Bay and the injury update that came out uh, not too long ago. Although it was expected, they were still listed as questionable, Aaron Jones and Christian Watson. And then, oh, gosh, not all that long ago, we saw them be upgraded from questionable to probable earlier today. And what happens when Aaron Jones and Christian Watson go from questionable to probable for the Packers, people continue betting on the Detroit Lions. So shows you what they matter in the, in the minds of the, uh, of the betters. I see two and a half. You know, earlier it was two. So Detroit's getting the action. The couple of places that I use to track uh, uh, bets for football, 
both have Detroit in that 65 to 70 percent range as far as the tickets. You know, the under in the first half of these Thursday night games, I mean, they've been the way to go the last 11 weeks that we've had Thursday night football going back to last year. But the two things that I like the most, I've already uh, teased Green Bay to plus eight and a half to Philadelphia on Sunday, minus two. So that's the play I made there. And then as far as a prop tonight, I got kind of involved in a few props. And I don't go crazy with these and, and probably have maybe three or four a week. But I got Sam Laporta yesterday morning over 41 and a half receiving yards. It's up to 42 and a half, so the price has come down from where it was yesterday. But 42 and a half, and uh, the uh, the uh, price is right around minus a buck 15. I also like it to go over four and a half receptions, but the prop I played was over 41 and a half receiving yards. And one of the reasons that I liked and played Amon Ross St. Brown over a thousand and a half yards before the season began was because of Laporta and what he brings to this offense. He's performing even better than I thought he would. He's averaging over six receptions per game seven targets per game. Uh, he's averaging 62 receiving yards per contest. He finished with 84 against the Falcons, 63 against Seattle. And, of course, Jamison Williams is still out serving that suspension for three more games, so that's why he becomes even more important to Jared Goff and this offense. And the one thing we know about Green Bay, man, their first couple of the games, we've seen teams attacking them with tight ends like crazy. So I, I expect Laporta to go over that 41-and-a-half in this game. But, again, as far as a side or total, I didn't play it. I just teased Green Bay again up to eight and a half to Philly on Sunday minus two. Ah, uh, Scott, you and I are on the same uh, side there with the teaser pleaser baby for the Packers. So uh, that's that's nice. I like to hear that. Marco, what are your thoughts about tonight's game? Well, I definitely agree with the teaser end of that. I'm looking at the total, and I'm, I'm going to buck a trend. So far, these Thursday, Sunday, and Monday night games have all been dead unders. I think it's 9-2 and two now to the under. But I'm looking at it to go over tonight. Uh, yeah, you've got the short week. It is two division rivals. You've got Jordan Love making his first start on primetime. Uh, I look at it, and everybody's looking at that defense at Green Bay and say, hey, they only gave up 20 to Chicago, 25 to Atlanta, and 17 to New Orleans. But I'm going to flip it around and say Chicago, Justin Fields, we've talked about him numerous times. He's not a good quarterback. That offense never threatened. You talk about the Atlanta game. You know, they did give up 25 points in that one. Atlanta's a team that just runs the football. You know, Desmond Ritter, you know, still learning what's going on. And then last week, they gave up 17 early to the Saints, and Carr got hurt, and then there was no more scoring. I think you're going to see scoring tonight. We know what that Lions offense can do. This will be the f- best offense they've faced so far, and if they get the lead Detroit, you know Green Bay is going to have to force the issue. You could get some turnovers for possible uh, cheap score, and then I'm counting on the Lions to do what the Lions do best. Score a lot of points and give up points in the second half. Uh, so I am looking at the over in this one, but I do have a teaser with Green Bay personally. I didn't give the teaser out to the clients, but setting up a few teasers with Green Bay. Scott, you got see it. if I could jump in real yep. quick. What's yep. wrong with Justin Fields? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I do know one thing, that Marco's going to be rooting for uh, Sam Laporta to, to, to gain a lot of yardage, yep. which I appreciate. I'll root for your over. And also, keep going with Amon Ross St. Brown. I've got him over 1,000 and a half yards, uh, Marco, uh, that I got back in July. 
And right now he's on pace to catch about 1,550 yards worth of passes, which would put him well over by about 500 yards. So let's get St. Brown, let's get Laporta, let's get the over, and let's have Green Bay at, le- at the very least cover the teaser. Yeah, Scott is, uh, was on St. Brown from the beginning, yeah. back in preseason. Uh, very, very good call so far, no question about that. Even though I believe in that opening week, Scott, he, he, he uh, tortured you, didn't he? Because he, he had like six catches, and, and then they got they got shut it off against Kansas City, right? I had a prop of, I think it was six and a half, yeah. if I recall. Oh, I talked okay. about it on your show. Yeah. And he had like six grabs with like two minutes to go in the first half, and then you <laughs> catch another ball or something like that, a couple of the drops in the second half. And uh, I remember I got a text from you, and you were like, hey, nice call. They're still in the first half. He only needs one more catch. Right, <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Kiss of death, Marco. <laughs> yeah, I was going to just say, you know, I get these from uh, TC all the time, and I'm like, will you stop? It's a nine-inning <laughs> game. It's a four-quarter football game. Don't be congratulating me okay, at listen. halftime. Okay, I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call a halt to the bout. Joe Cortez just left here, okay? okay. I'm calling a halt to the bout because that was not me because I was on an airplane that night because I couldn't even watch the game. That was the, Remember that? I was in Kansas City in Detroit, and I'm sitting there watch, uh, looking over people's uh, uh, cell phones uh, you know, in the row in front of me you know, to, to, to watch that Do game. Do I have to bring up so. Valdez? Framber Valdez, whenever you texted me when we well, had you, that, that, that was accurate. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. You texted that's, me that's like in a great sick- thing about that's the great thing about text. <laughs> yeah. I still got that text about yeah. Amon Ross A. Brown. <laughs> <laughs> it was like the fifth or sixth inning, and he texted me, "Oh, Valdez is throwing a no-no. We're good. Yeah." Oh, no. Yeah. 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 Uh, guilty. Uh, guilty as charged. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Unbelievable. Hey, speaking of Fran Bravalzell, like, could, he couldn't even get past the fifth inning last night. And just, yeah, he's, he's gone bad. But luckily, the Astros' offense came came. To I light. had him first anyway. five and cash, so yeah. it was it was a sweat. But. <laughs> All right, so I want to know uh, which one of you guys is going to be up at uh, 6.30 in the morning. So here we go. We've got the uh, overseas game with Atlanta, <laughs> Jacksonville, Wembley Stadium in London. You know how much I, I, I hate these things. But uh, an opinion at all with Atlanta or Jacksonville, Scott? Man, I, I was waiting for the uh, British accent to come through there, a yeah. cockney accent or something, when you set that one up. But I guess it's going to give you a little Monty Python. That's what's going to give you this, Sprite, sir. The heck, what, where, what, what part of London is that? I don't know. <laughs> I, I get my Aussie and my in my English kind of kind of confused. <laughs> there you go. That's not an Aussie. Jeez. Uh, listen, uh, I um I, I actually laid it with the Jags here. Uh, the, you know, they're used to making this trip, obviously, for one thing, if that really matters. But Atlanta's offense is so one-dimensional. Uh, they must run the football because the passing game is a good Desmond Ritter. He's kind of small, and he's under constant pressure. And then the Jags are excellent against the run. After, you know, we saw that clunker last week. I actually was on Houston in that game, so I'm going to come back and hopefully make it two wins in a row by playing a game involving the Jaguars. I do like him here. I laid the field goal. I think they'll handle the Falcons across the pond, and I'm not doing any British, British accents, so there. <laughs> Thank but, goodness. Uh, I did lay the points with Jacksonville. Yeah, I'm not involved in this one, but if I was, I would agree with you on the Jacksonville side because of the absolute clunker that they laid. The only problem is Atlanta laid one, too, uh, but Atlanta's one-dimensional, the running game. And if I remember right, a couple times, I don't know what the field conditions are over there. Uh, Didn't we have problems one year with the – 
the field being the grass and yeah, uh, I think they changed all that up now and, okay. and, and back there. And our, we talked to our our, course, our English correspondent Paul Buckpower Stewart. He was talking about how they they've gone pretty much all to astroturf for these okay. these fields. Okay. But yeah, yeah, I just, I want nothing involved with anything except maybe uh, uh, an international game between Germany and England. Okay, that's it on that field. <laughs> that's it. I mean, not even a Tottenham and in, in Liverpool or whatever, Scott. Okay, I know you're a well, Premier League guy. They, they would play on those well manicured grass fields over there a few times. Yes. And, and yeah. you know what? Penn State used to do the same thing in college football. When they'd go up against an opponent who was faster than them, and I'm not going to say it was only Penn State, oh, but yeah. they did it more than anybody else. <laughs> that grass was eight feet tall. Yeah. It, you know, and that's kind of what they did a couple of times over on the British Isle, is that grass would be a little out of control. Yeah. Uh, but I think, they've, I think they've cleaned up the issue over there now. So, yeah, I, and I like Jacksonville. It's one of my favorite three or four plays this week. Okay, guys, let's talk about Miami and Buffalo. Obviously, two AFC East teams uh, doing battle, and of course, the Bills—they've uh, gotten it right the last two weeks with a couple big-time victories. And we know what Miami did; they only put uh, you know 700 yards, uh, you know, on the board and 70 points uh, last week against the Denver Broncos. Uh, Am I the only one that's thinking, beware here if you're thinking about Miami? Because it just seems like if you go back in history, a team is ne- never replicates what they do the week before, and the public kind of falls in love with that team. I think that Buffalo, like Philadelphia, these two teams are, are trending in the right direction here, and I think Miami could be in for a little buzzsaw here when they go up to Orchard Park. Well, I'll tell you, and Scott will know what I'm going to say because we've done a ton of shows together, and I always say no team is as good as their best game or they as, as bad as their worst game. We absolutely saw the best game out of the Miami Dolphins last week, and it's, they're going to get a ton of love because of that. I think we're getting a benefit on this line. I think this line's too low on Buffalo, and I hate to say it in week four, But this is almost a must-win for Buffalo because if Miami wins the game, they go to 4-0, and Buffalo's 2-2 in the division. So you say, well, that's only a two-game lead. No, it's a three-game lead because you got the head-to-head, and the second meeting's going to be in Miami. This is a game that, you know, quote, Chris Berman, nobody circles the wagons like the Buffalo (laughs) Bills, and this is one of those games. I I like Buffalo. Yeah, you know, it's... I'm thinking about Buffalo when they played a real offense. That was the Chargers in week one, and they gave up 34, excuse me, not Buffalo, but Miami, and they gave up 34 to the Chargers, and they were quite fortunate to win that game. It took mistakes by the Chargers for them to lose the contest to the Dolphins, and I'm not trying to take away too much uh, from Miami, what they've done, their incredible coach. Let's not forget that since that uh, opening Monday loss, when Josh Allen did his, I mean, he was the best player for the Jets that night. He was missing <laughs> passes. He was he panicked so many times in that game and would throw into double coverage and triple coverage. But since then, they've outscored the Raiders and the Commanders 75-13. to So it's not like, you know, they're not winning games impressively. The last two have been fantastic. Six and one of the last seven at home. They did beat the Dolphins a couple of times last year. And I'm kind of with you guys also. You know, we saw a team in the NFL at their ultimate best. It's tough to do that two games in a row. You add in the fact you know, I'm not a big motivation guy, especially in pro sports, because I think a lot of times, and you know, I do a Wednesday night show with a guy who used to play for the Giants uh, by the name of Rob Zadishka, and I was talking to him again last night. He played with the Giants for about six years. 
And I go, what, you know, we always hear about this motivation of revenge and stuff like that. And I go, I've always assumed it lasts until maybe the second play from scrimmage. Then you got to pay attention to what the heck you're doing. And he said, exactly. And I said, but how about when you know how deep in the hole you're going to be if Buffalo loses this game to Miami, which Marco just talked about. And he said, that could kind of stay with you a little bit longer than the first two or three plays. I think we see Buffalo at their best which is good enough, I think, to beat Miami by a touchdown. I think we're all three on uh, that page. All right, let's talk about the Raiders and the Chargers. Raiders obviously have quarterback issues. Jimmy Garoppolo in concussion protocol. Uh, Still not sure if he's going to play or not. Then the big question mark, is it Hoyer, is it O'Connell? i got to believe it's going to be Hoyer just because that's why he's here. And I know that a lot of fans are saying, well, look what Aiden O'Connell did in preseason. Forget that. Throw that out the window. Hoyer is there for these type of situations. But with all that being said, the Chargers' offense is spectacular, uh, but they got two negatives for this team. I think we all agree upon Brandon Stately is, is, is one, and then the Charger defense, uh, specifically the secondary, uh, another one here. Looks like this line's coming down a little bit, guys. It was six, and I'm seeing like five and a halves now. Uh, some thoughts. Scott, let's start with you. Raiders, Chargers. I like the Chargers of this game, and you know I, I know about the defense. Obviously, we all know about the head coach and what's going on there. Uh, Jimmy G, if he did play, I mean, he's got more interceptions than touchdowns on the season, so I don't know how much he matters being out there or not. His best running back, which does matter, is averaging two yards per carry. Uh, his head coach is probably worse than the guy on the, under the headset on the other sideline. I mean, that was ridiculous the other night. A great, off, a great coordinator, but man, he, he's just lost when it comes to being a head coach. So the Chargers, you know, disappointing because their defense is worse than I thought it was going to be this year. But the D came up big when it needed to against the Vikings. It got me a win last week when I was a little bit worried it was going to go the other way because I don't have a lot of trust in the Charger D. Uh, But they don't need to come up big against, you know, Hoyer in all likelihood. O'Connell, as you mentioned, he was really good in the preseason, but I doubt he gets the starting nod here. If he does, I'm great. I like laying the points against a rookie quarterback in his first outing or Hoyer. Uh, what they got to do is get in position on defense and not make dumb mistakes. And as far as the Raiders, I mean, they get no pressure on opposing quarterbacks. They've allowed 76 of 99 passing, seven touchdowns. They've got no interceptions in those 99 passes. Chargers' pass block rate, if you look for metrics, is one of the tops in the NFL. Their pass blocking rate is excellent. And then you got Herbert, 74% passer, six touchdowns. No picks. I know they don't have Mike Williams, but I think you're going to have a good receiving core who's going to come to play and fill in for Mike Williams, and I like Kellen Moore's offense to do damage. So I'm going to back the Chargers here minus the points. All right. I can't disagree with the Chargers. I just, you know, I just can't lay points with them. They they scare me, but I don't want the Raiders either with the, the situation at quarterback. But I look at this one. I still like the over, even if we got to go to the backup quarterback with the Raiders, because the Chargers' defense is is horrific. And the Raiders, we saw what the Raiders can do giving up. They gave up 38 points in Buffalo to a very good offense, obviously. But last week, Kenny Pickett had his best game as a Steeler. That's the first time that he threw two touchdown passes. And we know how stagnant the Steeler offense has been. And they were able to get, you know, 23 against them. If the Raiders could somehow get 20 points in this game, I think this sells way over the total. And that's the only way I could look if I play it. All right. Only thing you got to do, Marco, is sweat, you know, 
the uh, the old head coach there for the Raiders kicking field goals on third and five from fifteen. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully they'll be down by a true two possession game where they have to go for it. There you go. Oh my goodness! Oh. All right. Uh, Anything else on the uh, – we don't want you to give away your best bets. We'll save those uh, for tomorrow. But anything uh, else that you guys want to want to throw out there? Marco? Well, you, you know I love talking situations, mm-hmm. and you know I love my Pittsburgh Steelers, but I love money more than I love the Steelers. <laughs> and this is a horrible spot for the Steelers. You're coming mm-hmm. off um, that big home game on Sunday they had here in Vegas, uh-huh. uh, you know, all the Steeler faithful were here. They win that game. Now they got to play a second week in a row on the road at Houston. That's always a tough spot. But look at who they play after Houston. This is the perfect sandwich between the Raider big game Sunday night, Baltimore at home the following week. You can't get a bigger sandwich than that. Now the only negative is, does Houston, who pulled a major upset last week, do they come up flat in this game? I don't think so. They're at home. I like what C.J. Stroud's been doing so far. I gotta say it. I hate to. I hope Pittsburgh's not listening. Go, I, I gotta go against them. Uh, Scott, he says that he uh, likes uh, money more. I, I, I'm gonna disagree. I think he likes food more. Okay, and he brought in the sandwich. He brought in the sandwich. I mean, I think all three of us are the. Oh, he's trying to call a timeout. You know, you burned all your timeouts an hour one. You don't have any left. There's, there's this is the guy that's telling me that I like food more than anything else, okay? But you need money. You need money to buy the food. Not all of well, us get comped all over well, Vegas. Excuse me, I was about to say, some of us. Yeah. Some of you need money yeah. to buy food. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I, I was just going to say there's three people on the show right now who like food more than anything else. Marco is right, technically. You do, you do need money to, buy, uh, to purchase that food unless you're TZ, uh, Mr. Comp. But uh, you know what? I, I, I agree with Marco, which is scary to say that I like Houston two weeks in a row, but I like what D'Amico Ryans is actually doing down there. But uh, you had Barry Odom on earlier, right? Yeah. And so I'm going to go to the game at Allegiant on Saturday I'm going to do something that I haven't done since Jerry Tarkanian was coaching the running Rebels, and I laid doubles with the basketball You're team. You're going to paint your face? You're going to paint your face yeah. scarlet and red? Or scarlet and gray? <laughs> hey, now. I'm going, to, I'm going to lay 11 with UNLV over Hawaii. Wow. Okay. And I really like this go-go offense, as they call it, that they're exhibiting this season. Outman teams having issues with it. Hawaii's an outman team. I think Barry Odom did some really nice things at Mizzou. Uh, but it's not just Odom here in Las Vegas so far. This guy, if you guys have, I mean, maybe you guys talked about it earlier. I had to miss the show, but Brennan Marion, the new offensive coordinator, yep. I mean, UNLV is so fortunate to have this guy. I don't want to put it out there for people to think about around the country, but I think Marion is going to get a really cool job offer in the next couple of years. That's how much I respect this guy. He was the wide receiver coach at Hawaii in 2020. Their receivers had a great year. He went to Pitt, Marco's hometown, the Pitt Panthers in 2021. They had a bust-out year, and one of their receivers won the Bolitnikoff. Wide receivers coach last year at Texas heads to Vegas. I really do like Marion and his offense. Uh, Doug Brumfield, by the way, obviously got hurt a few weeks ago. Didn't hear you talking to Odom today, but I know at last check what I saw was that he was questionable. But, you know, Jaden Mayava, if he has to play, he's played well. Yeah. They're 3-1 straight up, 4-0 against the spread. The lone loss came in Ann Arbor. They covered that number. Uh, the Rebels, they've hung 45-40 and 44 in their other three games, including that win over Vandy. But, listen, they, won, they run that rapid-fire fashion offense, and I think it's going to handle this outman to wide defense. So 
I hope it's not famous last words. I'm laying doubles with UNLV. Wow. Shocker. And uh, Timmy Chang will be there, Scott, but he will not be on the field. He'll be on the sideline. <laughs> I wouldn't be laying doubles if Timmy Chang was right. still behind center. There's no <laughs> doubt about that. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Uh, college side, real quick. Uh, give me one from each one of you guys. Marco? Uh, you want to talk about situations? Syracuse. Clemson had... What I like to always refer to is the dream crusher game. Losing that second game of the season, they're out of the playoff race. Uh, I got Syracuse. This is their, their Super Bowl on their home field. Clemson has dominated the series, but I don't think from a, a covering perspective, though. Yeah. But uh, then again, you know, look at Clemson had Florida State's I was number. Say, so seven in a row. Yep, yep. doesn't matter. I don't know. Scott? I'm going to go NFL since I went college with that first one, and I'll, I'll back the Ravens plus the field goal over Cleveland. Uh, Baltimore, the favorite on the look ahead, so there's been, I think, an over-adjustment. Uh, they were heavily banged up last week and lost that game to Indy thanks to a pair of 53-yard field goals, one with about a minute to go in the fourth, and, of course, the one in overtime. They still rushed for over 180 yards in that game. Much healthier this week. Multiple players returned to practice this week, and the one thing Lamar can do is render a pass rush ineffective, and he's expected to be the healthiest he's been all season. And, of course, Cleveland relies on that strong pass rush. I think they'll be hamstrung by Lamar of it here and then offensively, the Browns have been able to run the football, but the Ravens are strong against the run. And then as far as any kind of angles or situations are concerned, Harbaugh does such a great job at getting his team refocused. They've been a massive bankroll builder against the spread on the road off an outright loss as a favorite. I like him here, plus three over Cleveland. I know you guys uh, really love value. You love getting value at the sports book, and you love getting value uh, at the restaurants as well. But I'm going to give you one, too, and, and Scott's a guy that likes to go to different stadiums and go to games, all right? Uh, I know neither one of you guys touched on the Broncos and the Bears this week, right? Uh, you want some value? You can get a ticket right now to Soldier Field for that game for as low as Nubchuck, drum roll, please. That's right. You can go to Soldier Field and see this dynamic game for as low as two dollars and eleven cents. Go Bears! No way. Yes. So Russell Wilson will be in the in the, in the uh, stadium. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Uh, two dollars and eleven cents. True story. You you lose seventy to twenty, <laughs> and you're a favorite on the road this week. They're favored next week over the Jets at the look ahead by a field goal. Right. I mean that's pretty impressive that you're favored two weeks in a row. Or it just tells you how bad the Bears and Jets are. <laughs> and, again, probably too much value with Sean Payton, right? Now, when is that sure. going to come to a, a crashing halt? Hey, if he goes to New York 0-4, Sean Payton, do you, <laughs> do you think Nathaniel Hackett will pick him up at the airport? <laughs> Hey, I've got some advice for Sean Payton, guys. I don't know if you've seen this one uh, Twitter address, and I'm not going to give him free advertising. He does a fantastic job at deep fakes on Twitter. And he's had, like, coaches from Iowa State screaming and yelling at fans, and I swear to God, if you didn't know it was a deep fake, you would think the coach was losing his mind and should be fired the next day because he's calling out fans and I'm going to kick your butt in the parking lot. You would think it was the coach. You know what Sean Payton needs to do about that comedy made about Nathaniel Hackett? Right. He needs to come out and say it was a deep fake. I never said it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Scott, I appreciate the time. Uh, enjoy Saturday's game man, at UNLV, and, and, and good luck with your action, too. Take care, guys. Good luck to both of you. Appreciate you. There he is, Scott Spritzer. Go to DocSports.com. Subscribe to Scott's Plays there. And, uh, again, even though I guess technically competitors, I like to give both of you guys love. Marco, 
D'Angelo over at wagertalk.com as well, too. And I know you guys are both former teammates together under the Wager Talk banner, but uh, Scott uh, does a great job with, at Docs, and, and you do at Wager Talk. So it might not be conventional to, to give love, but, hey, we have Pepsi and we have uh, Coke commercials uh, and we got uh, you know lawyer commercials uh, rival in, in every show. So giving you hey, love, man. I love Scott. Yeah. Scott's a great guy. We've done a lot of shows together uh, back in the day. Yeah, I know. Like I said, you guys used to be on the same umbrella, and uh, I'm just uh, fortunate enough to have both of you guys uh, with me here. All right. I um, want to thank Barry Oden for joining us today, Joe Cortez, uh, John Williams for the Nevada Wheelchair Foundation. Uh, great to have him come on by, of course, Scott Spritzer and Marco D'Angelo. So tomorrow, remember, programming note, uh, we will not be here at the Westgate. I will be in Dallas with the Aces. We get ready for game number three of the semifinals, the Aces and the Wings. Marco will be holding it down in studio with Numchuck. So I will be talking to you guys from Dallas along with Houston Nutt, who will join us during that first hour as well, too. So it'll be uh, some more great uh, football talk and specifically talk a lot of college football tomorrow as well, too. Absolutely. And how you weaseled another meal out of Coach Nutt. <laughs> you know, the guy is just generous and said, you're coming to my town. I'd like to take you out, you know, for food. You know? And comes to your town and he takes you out. I was more than happy to provide a call. But, you know. Hey, T. Yeah. Do you want an updated Texas uh, time time frame? Go. 25 minutes to get from Arlington to Grapeville uh, right now. See, traffic's time. It's traffic's coming. Traffic's going down. All right. If you miss any part of the show, go to the website. Check it all out. Check out our Becky Hammond's interview. That is on the homepage and everything else. TCMartinShow.com. We'll talk to you tomorrow at 2 from Dallas.